0: This is the Happy Rant Sports Podcast, in which Ted Kluck and Barnabas Piper rant about old sports, new sports, sports books, sports movies, and anything else related to sports that they feel like. Enjoy.
1: Hey, welcome to the Happy Rant Sports Podcast. I am Ted Kluck, joined as always in studio by my good friend, my partner in sports radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, it's been a while since we've done a sports app. Uh, we have lots of things to talk about, and I'm excited to be doing this. It's uh, it's always nice to talk sports and sports media and just, like, sports ideas with you. Um, should we talk about Red Bud Coffee, whom we haven't talked about in a little while? We should We should probably always talk about Red
0: Bud Coffee, which is a shame because we haven't talked about them in a while. Yeah. But yeah, listeners, you should go to redbudcoffee.com. They are our... Uh, I think at this point we would call them a long time partner. It's been official it's been, coffee what? provider of, of Sports. Yeah. Like sports. maybe a year and a half, two years now that we've been working with them. Yeah. So you go to redbudcoffee.com, com. There's a small family owned coffee roastery out of uh, central Illinois. And they, they have a, a rotating array of roasts, all single origin type of stuff. If that means anything to you, if it doesn't, it just means high quality and good. Yep. Um, and if you use the code happy rent, you will get a ten percent discount. They sell them in you know your standard twelve ounce bags or you can get them in bulk quantity for church school, office, whatever it is that you are providing coffee for uh, all really high quality stuff and then, as a little added bonus, they use a portion of all the proceeds to support. Um, an organization that fights sex trafficking. So you get a little bit of that feel good. You're supporting a good cause and a good family while also getting high quality coffee. So again, redbudcoffee.com, use the code HappyRank. get that 10% discount and uh, support
1: a good family, get good coffee and support a good cause. I love it, Pipe. That's awesome. Um, I want to kind of start in reverse order of some things that we talked about. Um, you mentioned to me right before we went on the air that we had a listener... Uh, A long-time listener tweet at you or send you a picture of like late 1980s John Elway in the kind of orange, uh, the classic traditional like orange uh, Denver Broncos uniform uh, with the white pants and kind of the light blue helmet with the big D with a horse coming through it. Uh, I want to start with uniforms because uniform talk is a thing that we always kind of get into on here, and uh, I want to ask you if that picture. Did anything for you and where you're at vis-a-vis the Broncos and their uniforms based on that late 80s Elway picture? Thoughts on it for you?
0: Oh, I I loved it. I think it's really hard for me to separate good design from nostalgic uh, fondness yeah. when it comes to uniforms. So I tend to hate adaptations of uniforms sure. just just by and large. And I think probably 85% of that is because they suck. Yeah. Uh, but fifteen percent of it is just pure. I liked it better the way it was when I was a kid. Yeah, and so yeah, those those uh, Broncos uniforms were. I don't. I don't think they were probably good design, but they were my favorite design. Yeah, at, of 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 those uniforms, and you know, blue and orange is a great color combination for it uniforms. Is. Great contrast. It works well because it it pops against all the other uniforms. You know, the greens, the the whites, the whatever else. Yeah, you know. You know, I just think about like the Broncos versus say the Raiders. Yeah. Oh man. That black and silver and then the orange and blue were such a great Dude, like what you a see great those guys uniform. lined up across from each other, yeah. su- such a great color contrast. Absolutely. So yeah, it absolutely sort of brought me back into a uh a, a, an era of fondness if you will.
1: Yeah, I will totally. Like and the Broncos uniform now is so kind of gross and forgettable in early 2000s by comparison. Um Yeah, it was a great look. They've muted the contrast, because it used to be sort of that, like,
0: it wasn't royal blue. It was lighter than that. It was almost the blue that's on, like, the iMessage. Yeah. uh, That blue. No, exactly, yeah. yeah, And then, like, a bright orange, and now it's, like, a burnt orange almost a red with a navy blue. And you're like, all of this is just blah.
1: We have brought this down into into sort of muted, how would you decorate your living room colors? (laughs) Exactly, dude. Everything that was distinctive and popped about it. And they even had branding built around those old orange jerseys. They had the orange crush defense in like the late 70s. And it was just iconic. And when we were kids, like in the kind of mid-career Elway era, like the white of the pant was was magnificent and it had almost like a sheen to it and mm-hmm. the stripes looked really good the orange jersey on top of it with like the shiny shoulders remember like the the kind of dazzle fabric on the shoulders <laughs> uh, yes. it was incredible dude i used to just love those on like i don't know carl mecklenburg like late late career carl mecklenburg and uh the- Steve Atwater is the name that comes to Dude, mind. Atwater looked they carried so him into cool. the early nineties. He looks so cool in that uniform. So Atwater was the first of kind of the huge safeties. So you had like David Fulcher, Steve Atwater. They were huge shoulder pads. And Atwater was like 6'3, 225, 230. He was a monster. In today's NFL, he would have been a like a like a an inside linebacker, like an overhang type linebacker, but um, yeah, I mean, he he was the same size as, like, Levante David, who oh, exactly. was, you know, the star linebacker for the Bucs. I mean, he's Darius Leonard today. You know, he's Darius Leonard's body type in terms of, like, big, rangy, fast, can-run, Bobby Wagner-type guy. But, uh, yeah, he had the huge shoulder pads. He had, like, a little bit of a neck roll that would just peek out from under that orange jersey and, and like, a, a Riddell helmet with, like, the standard, like, skill guy face mask on it. It was a beaut, dude. Just Gorgeous on Atwater and he looked so imposing in it, even though they weren't like imposing colors. Um, he looked imposing in it and they had, they had another hard hitting safety too, Dennis Smith. So yeah, it was Dennis Smith and Steve Atwater, both of whom would just like take your heads off. If you went over the middle, that was a fun team. Um, and, and, and it worked so well because a, the referees
0: were, I mean, the whole league was built around trying to kill people at that point, which, you know, let's set aside the morality. It was really fun to watch. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And the, the way that offenses played was great because it was, it was kind of pre the proliferation of West coast offense. So passing was vertical. Yeah. Or like screen passes. Yeah. And the running game was, you know, 60% of all the play calls. So hard-hitting safeties just had guys running in the open field who they could, you know, utterly decapitate. Yeah. And then uh, and then they could come downhill and hit, and hit the running backs and the tight ends and stuff. So it was such a different game and, oh, and
1: you know, so fun to watch such those a guys fly around and too. just destroy people. Oh, I loved it. Yeah, the middle of the field, unless you had a really tough receiver – or a really tough big tight end like a Mark Bavaro type. Like the middle of the field was essentially closed if your team had a couple of safeties like Dennis Smith and Steve Atwater. I mean, it was a different a different game play calling wise, which is why you can't do the stats thing, right? You can't look at John Elway's stats from that era and go, oh, he's got you know, he's got too many interceptions or his completion percentage isn't high enough. Well, it was a different game. I mean, today's game is like it's seven on seven football you know and uh, yeah i mean what what has
0: happened in the nfl is the same thing that has happened in the nba is that as as they you know the statistics have borne out certain things and so there's a reason why like larry bird's all-time high of uh three-pointers in a season was something like 80 to 100 i mean it was like it was just over one a game that's like a that's like a good 15 game stretch for steph curry yeah it's a different game and so, you know, you look at Elway and he would throw like 27 touchdowns and 18 interceptions. I'm like, well, that's because everything was an 18 yard out or something exactly. like none,
1: none of them were these the kind of catering to the quarterback plays. Yeah, he was throwing seamers or outside the numbers on every play, which he could do because he had a cannon for an arm. But But yeah, like it was a it was a very different game back then. So shout out to. Our listener, and you you texted it, yeah to it was, me. I think it was oh. Caleb Peterson
0: who I, I sent you what he had shared with us, but yeah, yeah. just uh, he said, you know can we get can we get a, a mention of these uniforms and then, of course, Absolutely. We, we couldn't help but go eight minutes on why old
1: <laughs> school football was awesome. dude, what a beautiful helmet too. That was just a great iconic helmet, and when they changed it, it looked like an arena football helmet. And it's the helmet that they're still using, and it's so forgettable. Yeah, it's they they went to like a USFL
0: or like you know NFL Europe style helmet with that like weirdo horse on it. Yeah, instead of the yeah the old school one with the big the iconic horse coming out of the the horse, which makes sense with you know from being the Broncos. Yeah, yeah, they they it it seems like teams have moved away from emphasizing the personality of their. Of their mascot. Yeah. You know, like Broncos are a thing that was, you know, n- native to Colorado and sure. also really cool, you know, the Vikings, the Raiders. And now all of a sudden it's just sort of like it's it's branding, not sort of leaning into the personality of it, which is unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Did we did we talk about how if I could remove one word from the American vernacular or sort of idea palette? um did we talk about this and, and take away all the horrible ones like, uh, I don't know, abortion and genocide and racism and all that? Like, I would remove the word branding. Like, if I could wipe one word from our kind of collective consciousness, it would be branding. I think okay, nothing so good has come I, from it. Let, let, pre- let me lean on
0: this just for clarity. I'm, yeah. I, I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. Uh, where does – does platform
1: – yeah, is that an extension of branding or is that pre-branding? I don't know, man. Yeah, that, I feel like they're cousins. You know what I mean? They're like really close cousins. Um, so yeah, pla- so it's really a family line that needs to be wiped. Out. I think it's a whole family line that that needs okay. to be wiped away for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right though in that the sort of and, and that uniform switch happened pre Nike, so I can't blame Nike for it. But the kind of Nikeification of the uniform. You know, space has um, <clears throat> has not been great overall. Well, the, the '90s were not good for uniform changes. Yeah,
0: I would agree. You no, know, there was the a lot of purple, a lot of teal. Yeah, a lot of purple and
1: black, oh. like when the Ravens came in. Purple and black is a terrible color, dude. Color. The Ravens have never had a good uniform. That's a gross uniform team. We just black black is not a great uniform base. Yeah. Most of
0: the time, the Raiders pull it off because they got that cool silver, but like no, no other black based uniform works. The
1: Jaguars look terrible with yes, theirs. The do. Ravens look Very terrible much. with theirs. So forth. Even the Steelers. Uh, I think I love it because it's old school and like, I grew up with it, but it, in and of itself, it's not great. So here, here's no, my it's, Steelers it's thing. Um, yeah. I, I've, I've just like 15 seconds on the Steelers. Their uniform is fine. I think it could get thirty three percent better if they just went back to like a, a blockier number font. Like a like a Franco Harris era or even like the Lavon Kirkland, Chad Brown era, like blocky number font. I think the uniform gets thirty three percent better. They've been they've been doing this weird kind of mincy number font for years and I don't like it. Um Yeah, trying trying to make I mean they're the Steelers and they're trying to look sleek. Yeah. Which is- that's a bad. That's a bad deal. Yeah, you're the Steelers. Like you play in the snow, so, um, just embrace. So the one thing that they do consistently that
0: that helps their uniforms not fall into the utterly terror. They always have contrasting pants. Yeah, that's so, true. So like the Ravens wear black jerseys and black pants, and it just they look like they're in a, like a
1: unitard. It's a they onesie. So, it's a pajama.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, it's this is this is like
1: interpretive dance waiting to happen. Not <laughs> exactly, not dude. Football. That's so true. Spoken like a man who has sat through a few. Dance recitals in his life. A, a, few, Do, a few. I just I just survived my last one of the year. and Oh, congratulations. That's why, that's that's why Merry Christmas to me. Absolutely. Well, I want to play a game, Pipe. I want to I want to go through each conference, and I'm, I'm just going to kind of zip through these, and we can go faster or slower on some of them. I want to play a game called the Minshew Index, and I'm going to lob some teams at you, and I just want you to talk about if they would be better or worse with Gardner Minshew at quarterback. Um, yeah. I love Gardner Minshew. My love for Minshew is, is, uh, well-documented on this program. I think he's very good. Um, I hate to see him languishing on a bench when there are so many clubs that could use him. So we're just going to go through and play Minshew index with, with some of these teams. Um, I'm looking at the NFC South. Let's start with new Orleans. They're seven and seven right now, better or worse with Minshew, a quarterback better. I agree. I think they're better. Um,
0: I, he's, think, I mean, he's he's definitively better than uh, Taysom Hill, who's not a quarterback. Correct. Uh, he's consistently better than Jameis
1: Winston, who on his good days is almost elite, but he has too many bad days. Here's an interesting one, and I agree with all that. Yeah, and definitely better than Trevor Simeon or whoever they've been rolling. Oh, yeah.
0: I wasn't even counting him because yeah, once yeah. you get to third string, they're no longer quarterbacks.
1: Here's an interesting one. This team is 6-8. and eight. It's Atlanta. I don't know that they're better with Gardner Minshew. I think they're about the same. Uh, I think Matt Ryan has actually done an admirable job in Atlanta this year to get them to six and eight. What are your thoughts on the Falcons? Yeah, I don't think they're better. I think I think Matt. Like if you if you put so
0: if you if you put Matt Ryan on the Saints, they're probably you know a two seed. Yeah, or something. I agree. You know, like yeah. they. He's he's still a top half of the league quarterback. Yeah, they just they've been injured. They have a new coach, which the scheme is not clicking, and they have minimal talent. Yes, you know, like that's they have, right; they're very they limited. One and a half elite playmakers—that's not enough.
1: Yep, no, that's right. Um, here's another one from the NFC South: Carolina. They're five and nine. It's been a disaster. The Sam Darnold thing has been a disaster, which I was wrong on. Yeah, that was a prediction that we both. I don't know if it was a prediction as much as a we really wanted to see it work, but yeah, not, it has not. Yeah, no, it has not worked. So they're five and nine. I think they're better with Minshew. I think they're borderline a playoff team with Minshew. You know, they they may sneak into the wild card with him because unlike Atlanta, their roster is really good. Like, there's a lot of meat on the bone there in terms of interesting skill guys, uh, pass rushers that can get after you defensively. Like they're pretty good at all three levels defensively. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know. I think I think Carolina is a lot better with Minshew. Yeah,
0: I think I think he brings them up to the floor of like, they just good. They're yeah. they're solid. You know, he's he's sort of uh, what's the word or what what's a good? What, he's sort of Jimmy Garoppolo ish for yeah, them. Like, I agree. Okay, if he's healthy, they the rest of the team is good enough to get yeah to be a playoff level team.
1: Let's go to the NFC North. This is going to get a little interesting. My team, the Lions. Sitting at two eleven and one, kind of frisky. They've played hard the whole season. Uh, they got a big win this last Sunday. I was excited about it. I was uh, also excited because it made the win against the Vikings look uh, not not quite
0: so bad because they <laughs> just beat the brakes off. I don't remember who they were playing, but it was a surprise. It was. And, it, was and, a, it was. And it
1: was a, dominant. It was a major surprise, and it was dominant, and it was super fun. It was the Cardinals. It was Arizona, who's very oh, yeah, who's very streaky. who has been good. Yeah, yeah. They, and they've been very good. So. The Lions sitting at two and eleven and one two eleven and one with Jared Goff a quarterback I think this is a five or six win team with Minchu because so many of their losses have been so close um well, yeah and and Goff Goff is
0: see Goff is like he's kind of what you what you stereotypically want in a backup quarterback which is like understands a system plays everything conservative but that means he never makes a play like that's n- right. he doesn't lift anybody. Minshew is gonna do some crazy stuff. Like he's yeah. a little bit of a gunslinger. Yeah. And I think for their team, given their limited talent, that's what they need. Yeah. So I agree. I yeah, I, I think he lifts maybe, maybe not five or six wins, but like I bet they pull out a couple of those games. And the other thing about him, and this is I don't know, you can't measure this. Yeah. His personality would lift oh that gosh. team. Like they play hard, but he just he just has sort of an unreasonable swagger about him, and I think that'd
1: be really good. <laughs> Dude, for that Lions. city would love him. He would be the mayor of Detroit if he even got that team to six wins. They would they would adore Gardner Minshew. Uh, I'd love to see it happen. There's been there's been a little chatter about maybe him going there next year to compete with Jared Goff because they're kind of. They're stuck with Golf's contract for another year, and then it gets. Well, and and even if they get a high pick, there's no there's no quarterbacks in the
0: draft no. who are kind of at this point. They, somebody's going to rise because that yeah. always happens. But yeah. nobody who they're like, oh, this is the next guy, dude. Know? The next None happy
1: rant guys. sports. We need to talk some some quarterback projections for the draft because I, I have yep. thoughts on that. But it's it's too soon for it. Um, all right, we're not going to talk about the Bears because the Bears are, dude. The Bears are a disaster. They're worse than Detroit. They're really, really disastrous. Uh, And you're not allowed to say an unkind word about Justin Fields. So we'll just skip over the bears. Uh, So here's the thing. I, I am so sad for Justin Fields.
0: Yeah. Like, I I feel like if, if he had gone to a team that just had like like if he had gone to the Lions,
1: yeah. Oh man, you know, that'd be fun. Like where, wow, where there's just yeah. sort of
0: a like the Lions are really bad, but they're bad because of talent.
1: They're bad because of talent, but they play their tails off. Their offensive and line is actually decent. They're playing well and yeah. and have improved over the year, especially yeah. as
0: Sewell has has gotten better. But like yeah. they have a terrible system. Their coach is he's he's Urban Meyerish without the without the <laughs> reputation. Like he's yeah. that level of of incompetent and and yeah. just kind of dumb as a football coach. Yeah, yeah I, I feel bad for Fields. And because of their ownership, I have no confidence, which yeah, I have no I confidence agree. that they're going to they're gonna hire anybody to to make that better.
1: No, you're absolutely right. And the the only silver lining in this for Fields is that he's going to get looked at. People are going to look at it in the same way that they look at Trevor Lawrence, which is basically that like this is a redshirt year. I mean, this is a year of – it gets kind of wiped from the record in but, terms of are I these mean, guys good.
0: But As an aside, how many rookie quarterbacks in history? I mean, I or that we can remember, came into an absolutely dysfunctional situation, yeah. and then and then became great. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of yeah. rookie quarterbacks who play badly or yeah. who who have who are on bad teams, but not like. So this is a good utter conversation. dysfunction.
1: I want to I want to go a couple minutes on this because I I was texting with a buddy about it yesterday, so. Year 1 Troy Aikman was really bad. Year 1 Peyton Manning was really bad and their teams were really bad with the caveat that like those teams were building towards something and there was a plan in place even though the teams themselves were really bad. So like you look at year 1 Aikman and and we have the benefit of hindsight here, right? So we're we're looking at this through a historical lens and we know that it worked out. But those teams were awful, and year one, Peyton Manning, the Colts were were really bad. Like from a talent standpoint, they just. Yeah, I think he set an NFL record for interceptions
0: too. I mean, he threw it was yeah. something like he threw close to thirty interceptions that year. I guess he wasn't yeah. a record because I think I think Winston broke that. But yeah, it was he was close. just
1: airing it out. Yeah, yeah, just airing it out all over the place. They didn't have a lot of talent. Um, but through the through the kind of benefit of hindsight, you look at it and you go, okay, those teams are going somewhere which we can't really say about the 2021 Bears or Jags because both coaches are going to get fired. Both kind of management teams have been a disaster. So you're going to get a new coach and a new GM probably in both places. Um, so, so you look at that paradigm, and I'm thinking about guys like Jeff George, right, or early career Vinny Testaverdi, whose teams were disastrous, whose management was disastrous, and what happened was they kind of – George bounced around forever because he had this huge like cannon for an arm, mm-hmm. but really wasn't that good. He ended up playing for 10 different head coaches in his career, which is astonishing. Um, Vinny Testaverdi didn't get good until he was 32. I mean, he was in his 30s before he started playing well. Um, so, yeah, the paradigm for guys who start in disastrous situations but are toolsy – It's not as good. Who who are we missing in that discussion? I feel like there are. Oh, I'm I'm trying to think. Like, here's one: Cam Newton. Cam Newton came into
0: the league, a tore it up as a as a rookie, but also like they had they had solid coaching and a good team around him. Yeah. Um.
1: Robert Griffin. Yeah, Robert Griffin. Solid coaching. Pretty decent team around him, and a sensational rookie year. Yeah. I would have loved to have seen what that career would have looked like if he had stayed healthy. Man, I think... Yeah. I, I mean, with, he was
0: obviously yeah, the, the injury completely derailed him, which yeah. even even I would be interested to know, like if he had gotten that injury now versus what was that 12, 13 yeah. years ago? Yeah. Like what would the surgery, the recovery, the I mean what, what yeah, we right. understand about player recovery now versus what we did then, even how the plays were called. Like yeah, not so right. many guys are put in that position. That's right. Yeah, I just I'm just trying to think. There's just there's not too many quarterbacks who there's a lot of them who play bad for a year or two. Dude, but here's a that's di- that's different than being on a team where you're like that
1: whole thing that needs to be burned to the ground. Here's an interesting paradigm. Drew Bledsoe gets drafted number one overall by a disastrous Patriots franchise, I believe, and I'm doing this without looking. I think the coach who drafted him got fired. Shortly after he got there. And then that's right. And then Parcells came in and kind of redeemed him and got that team to a Super Bowl, which they lost. But that was a pretty good career for somebody who started out on a disastrous team. Now, I don't think Bledsoe himself was disastrous that first year. Um, and he he was a guy with like a big arm, pretty accurate, tough, teammates loved him. You know, just a really good quarterback. That if he had gone to a great franchise, would have probably played in a couple Super Bowls. Um, so that was a that was an interesting career. I'm trying to think of other number one overalls. quarterbacks. So I think that we're I think Matt
0: Stafford is probably okay. The oh, that's a great example. One. I I forgot that. A- I know, I'm just trying to think about... I was trying to think... Because he was toolsy yeah. in a different way. Like, not the super athletic guy, but, but you know... Yeah. He was Jeff George-ish in terms of, like, huge oh, yeah. arm. Oh, cannon. Cannon for Ath- an arm, yeah. Athletic, but not, like, not, yeah. not a runner. Yeah, And he played 10 years for an abysmal... A garbage fire. Yeah. An yeah. abysmal franchise. And, and never stopped being good. You know, yeah. like, he... He was consistently a high performer as the team ebbed and flowed, and I don't know how many head coaches he's played for. Uh, probably he's probably like four or five right now. Yeah, yeah, a lot. And you know, playing for the Rams, all of a sudden, like he, he's still, you know, he makes some mistakes here and there. But you look at it and you're like, oh, yeah, this is this, this is, is what, what it could have. Like. This is what yeah. it could have looked like for the last twelve years or ten years or whatever it's been. You know, with him with, with him playing a real offense with real skill position players and so forth. So I think he's a good example of a guy who was into a garbage situation and
1: didn't completely fall apart. Yeah, that's right. That's a good one. Uh okay, I have a couple more in the NFC. Uh, so we're, we're we're back to the Minshew. Back the Minshew to, experiment. Back to the, yeah, back to the Minshew index. Minnesota. Seven and seven. Um are they better or worse with Gardner Minshew? <laughs> this this one is tricky to me. So i I think their record is about the same. Yep.
0: But the games look really different because Minnesota is is one game away from breaking the all time record for most one score games. Yep. Which is kind of that's Kirk Cousinsy. Yeah. Kirk Cousins' record in his career is fifty eight, fifty eight, and two. That's exactly who he is. Yeah. He is perfectly average. Yep Mm performance-wise. So what Minshew would do is mean that they lost a couple games by 17 points because he threw four picks or something. Yeah. But he would finish some of these games that Cousins can't because he would have the stones to make some throws that Cousins doesn't have. Yeah. So I'm guessing there's still a game under 500 or so. Yeah. But but it looks
1: different. No, I agree. I think that's a really good take. I want to take the NFC East just as a whole conference, but just take Dallas off the table. I think if you put Minshew on the Giants, the football team, or his own team as a starter, all three of those teams are better. Uh, he's better than Danny Dimes. He's better than Heineke, uh, and I think he's a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Even though you're not allowed to say anything bad about Jalen Hurts, um, I think Jalen, yeah, Jalen Hurts is is an interesting one because he's
0: he really is a running back who can throw. Yeah, I mean. Like people said that about Newton and that was wrong. Newton had it was it, wrong. You know, one of the all- I agree. He is he's got a a top five percent all time arm. Sure, Hertz is a bad thrower, but he's yeah. a he's a he's not worse than like Taylor Heineke throwing, but he's he's a bad thrower. Yeah, but I you know so watching the Eagles recently, I think it was last night, I was watching the play and I realized oh he. There was a couple of runs that Miles Sanders, their starting running back, couldn't finish. And I was like, if Hertz ran that, he would have gotten an extra three yards because he finishes runs. So yep. he's a he's a nasty running back who can throw. Yeah. But yeah, I don't I don't think they have a future with him at quarterback. I think if Minshew was there, they would use their skill position players better and yeah. not just constantly run everything to the quarterback's mobility. Right. Uh the Giants are definitively better because Danny Dimes is really bad. Yeah. Um the Washington Football Club. I mean, I think Minshew is uh Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Who was I agree. their starting quarterback before getting injured. Like he's that guy. So yeah. that's uh that's not an insult. Fitzpatrick has played for like fourteen years and had some really good stretches where he just tears it up and then he's looked really bad at stretches. Yeah. He's always a borderline starter. He's always a good, like,
1: one year gap guy. I think yeah. that might be Minshew for the next 10 years. I know, dude. And my thing with Minshew on the Eagles is that I think Jalen Hurts by his insistence on running the offense through himself at all times. Like he's held Miles Sanders back, he's held receiver development back. I just don't think anybody on that Eagles offense is getting better because of Jalen Hurts. And I think the inverse would be true if Gardner Minshew was the quarterback there. I don't know if their yeah. record is better, but their their players are getting better. Okay, let's when, go. When, go when I watch Jalen Hurts
0: play, it reminds me of watching uh like a high school team basically who has a star quarterback. Yeah. And and kinda not a lot else because he, he runs everything through himself. He has he locks on to like one guy and so mostly it's Dallas Goddard, who's a yeah. really good tight end. Yeah. But they, they have Jalen Rager, who is a first-round pick. Who knows if he's good because they, yeah. they've never had a quarterback to get him the ball. That's right. They have Devontae Smith, who was a really high pick, who <laughs> is actually really good and doesn't put up numbers because they don't get him the ball. So I think, yeah, any quarterback who can distribute the ball turns that offense into a, a middling NFL offense instead of the up-and-down freak show that it is
1: right now. No, I totally agree. All right, we can go quicker through the AFC. Uh, AFC East, Patriots no, Bills no. Dolphins? No.
0: I think Tua has, in the last eight games or so, especially with all the injuries around him, has shown that he's... He has. He's kind of... He's produced. a he's a steady hand at the tiller. He is, an, he is a prediction I got wrong, because yeah. we were talking about who's sort of the Josh Allen breakout. Yeah. And I said, I think Tua could be it, and he yeah. hasn't been. But he brought them from... Like, everybody's getting
1: fired four weeks into the season to yeah. no I agree team. so uh, let's let's do a minute on Tua like I'm having a hard time where do we put his ceiling like to me he's going to be better than like he's going to be better than Teddy Bridgewater's ceiling but that being said I still don't know where to put it you know what I mean? you know what I mean by that where are you at on when it's who it's the really hard to say him? because like he their offensive
0: line in their running game is so bad yeah. That he is, he you know he's he's making, he's just creating stuff out of like trash leftovers uh, on on offense. Yeah, um, I think he has the skill to be. Let's let's think of a good a good. He doesn't have the arm of a, you know, an Aaron Rodgers or or the you know the elite yep. guys. I think Philip Rivers maybe. Okay,
1: I like that. I was gonna say Baker Mayfield when Mayfield is right. I think. Um, see,
0: I think Mayfield, watching Odell Beckham go from Mayfield to the Rams and become 75, 80% of his former self after two weeks tells yeah. me a lot of what I need to know about Baker. Like, I, I am yeah. no longer in the Baker is any good category. I yeah. think... I think they need to figure out a way to move on from him, but they're going to be in this tough spot of like do we re-sign him? If they re-sign him, they're going to they're going to be in the Jared Goff situation. Yeah. I think Baker Mayfield is a more athletic Jared Goff.
1: Yeah. No, I'm with you. That's that's a that's a good take for sure. The Jets, it's almost not worth talking about. I mean, that that team's Yeah, they they would be better with him, that. but yeah. uh, so what? Like What's the they point? have
0: so many yeah. other things to fix that they what are they the, the two win team? Exactly. Now and they they'd be a
1: three and a half win team or something. My take on the Jets is that they hired the wrong head coach. Um, that's that that was a bad deal. Um, are there any good
0: defensive minded head coaches besides? I mean, I was gonna say Bill Belichick, but like his offenses have actually been good. Yeah, but like any of the any of the young or, or new hires in the last five years
1: who are defensive guys, Brandon Staley maybe. But I need to see more of the charge they keep blowing games. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where where I was going with that. So Vic Fangio eh. um Mike Tomlin historically and he's been there for so long. He was a defensive guy, correct? Or was he Yeah, offensive? he was. He was a yeah. he was the defensive backs coach for the Vikings. Yeah. I think he went to be the defensive
0: coordinator for the Steelers yeah. for like a year and then replaced Cower and but that's thing is like he and Bell, like they they are defensive guys, but they are happy to let somebody else run the offense. That's you know, right. Like that's that's part of the reason why like why like Mike Zimmer yeah. has been less successful in the Vikings coach because he yeah. keeps meddling in the offense, being like we need to run the ball more, blah blah blah. Instead of just being like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, run your system, you know, Gary Kubiak or
1: whoever. Now it's Clint Kubiak who's a lesser version of his dad. <laughs> that's true, dude. Vrabel is a defensive guy who's done done well. You know, they still haven't kind of. Had that definitive playoff run that you look for, yeah. In, uh, which is
0: which is interesting because their defense up until this year has been bad. Yeah, that's right. Under him, that's right. Their that's
1: offense was with Arthur Smith as OC was was uh, the more notable feature. That's it. Absolutely. Okay, so more Minshew index. Let's land the plan on this. AFC West. I'm, I think I'm taking all the incumbent quarterbacks in that division except on the Broncos, and I'm not sure. He moves the record needle a ton for the Broncos. They're seven and seven like everyone else in the NFL. Yeah. Um so NFC or AFC North, uh, I think I put Minshew on the Steelers. Yeah. I think Pittsburgh falls in love with him. I think they're a game or two better in the win column. I do. Well, and the thing about the Steelers is
0: they actually have good skill position players. That's and right. a quarterback who cannot take advantage of them.
1: Oh, man. The Steelers are tantalizing from a skill position standpoint. My goodness. Um, the rookie running back, the big receivers that can run, you know, the tight end who's kind of frisky. I, I, I enjoy that team with Minshew at the helm. I think. They may be even better than a couple more wins. They they may be like a really fun team with Minshew at quarterback. Uh the Browns are better with Minshew. The Browns are are a better team. And that again, that's like taking into account Baker Mayfield's health, all that stuff. But uh Yeah, but I
0: I but even if Baker was healthy, like Baker has never shown that he can take advantage of good skill position players like if they had gardner bench starting from the beginning of the season i think odell beckham would not be gone yeah and and i think they would have a more explosive offense now they've had a ton of injuries and covid and whatever but like let's just assume moderate health a couple missed games here and there for guys yeah i think they're i think they're better i think their offense is scarier and yeah i i just more and more i'm unimpressed with baker mayfield he's an nfl quarterback
1: who's not ever going to be a star. Yeah, like he's a he's a more fun and more watchable version of Kirk Cousins. In in that he is about a 500 quarterback. You know, he brings more to the table in terms of being a personality and being fun to watch, but like at the end of the day, they're very similar. Um okay, AFC South. This one is interesting, dude. The Colts I I think I'm still Taking Carson Wentz, but it's close. Um, what are you doing with the Colts vis-a-vis Menchu? I think the Colts would
0: be about the same because yeah. they they know, like, I think, I mean, he if he's an improvement on Wentz, it's a marginal improvement. Yeah. I think what you would see is a few more big plays passing, a few more turnovers, and uh, – And the offense would still basically run through Jonathan Taylor, which seems to be working just fine. There's there's sort of exactly there's sort of uh, I I do think if he was on the Colts, he'd be getting the Ryan Tannehill treatment, which was look at how efficient this guy is. And then Derrick Henry (laughs) goes out and you're like, oh, he's not actually good. That's yeah. Yeah. You know, Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry are kind of two peas in a pod in terms of how they shape an offense
1: right now. Yeah, that's right. Um, The Titans. Ah. I think it's about the same. Yeah, I. I mean, like I said, Ryan's yeah. handheld treatment.
0: I think. I think they're. I don't know. I, yeah. They're so boring, man. They are so boring. They have. They have two players on that team who are fun on offense, who are fun to watch, and neither of them are playing right now. So. And one of them whatever. is their left tackle.
1: Yeah. Uh, oh,
0: I was thinking skill position players, but yeah, yeah, like they're they're just yeah they're just meh.
1: They're really mad. They're really boring, and the and the Julio Jones signing was a bust um well that was a trade and they gave up a fair amount for him like like atlanta
0: is in a good position to begin rebuilding well if they hadn't put all that money into matt ryan like they should have they probably should have tried to trade him too but yeah yeah, they uh they they picked up some decent stuff from the titans and the titans are not going to get anything out of julio jones for the rest of his career
1: yeah no you're right that was a that was a really prescient kind of forward looking trade by Atlanta. Well done by them. Uh okay, I want to talk about a couple of kind of bigger bigger issue like or bigger picture like sports landscape issues. Um and we talked off the air about the fact that you haven't watched Man in the Arena, the Tom Brady documentaries, but I want to talk about I hadn't heard of it until you
0: texted me. And like I'm yeah. not a sports reporter. Yeah. But I do tend to pay attention.
1: And yeah, so I haven't heard of it at all. This is weird. This this speaks to like I think just how different people watch TV like functionally and like what box you use and how you watch ESPN. So like we we watch ESPN through an ESPN app and we pay for ESPN Plus, which is like 4 bucks a month. And I started paying for ESPN Plus like 7 years ago so that I could watch the CFL because they carry all the CFL games. And with ESPN Plus came these Tom Brady Man in the Arena documentaries produced by Tom Brady. So this was sort of Brady's answer to The Last Dance, which was Jordan's, you know, kind of self produced uh documentary series, which were fabulous. Like we well documented have have talked ad nauseum about how great the last dance was. And it, it was so great, in fact. I actually use an episode or two of The Last Dance in my magazine and feature writing class as a, as a way to illustrate, like, how do you cut together a story with conflict where all the scenes are hot? You know, there's like no not hot scenes in The Last Dance. And I think it's brilliant that way. Um, it's like a Wright Thompson feature. You know, it yep. just keeps you it keeps you on the hook the whole way through. Man in the Arena on paper is a documentary that seems like it was made just for me, right? Like it's about the Patriots and it's about football and it's about an era that I'm kind of interested in. And so I was rubbing my hands together gleefully thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to love man in the arena. It's going to be like the last dance. And they're even well done from a technical standpoint, but they're boring. And I've watched a few of them I haven't. That describes Tom
0: Brady so well, just <laughs> right. across the board. Everything about him, well done
1: from a technical perspective <laughs> and boring. Yeah, dude. So I'm watching this thing and I'm realizing, like, and I want to hear you on this because this just speaks to like athlete charisma and just personalities of people. You put Jordan on camera and he can't help but like ooze charisma. And it doesn't matter what he's talking about, he could be talking about like, craft whiskey or cigars or people in the NBA that he hated and he's oozing charisma and you put Brady on screen and it just doesn't work. You know, like he and and nothing against Brady. Like I love Brady and I've loved watching him play and I've, I've loved the Patriots over the last 15 years. They've been fun, but like the documentary doesn't work and it's boring. And uh I want to know your thoughts on that. And I also want to hear your thoughts on like, this sort of spate of athlete produced kind of um self-stroking that that happens via these documentaries and and like who could make one that you would be interested in
0: yeah so i i think i think there's a few things going on there's there's charisma there's yeah. also the stage and career i think everything is more interesting when a player is retired i agree because you like think about I mean Charles Barkley has always been a big mouth. Yeah, so has Shaq. But those guys in retirement can say a lot of stuff that they would have to kind of hold back on if they still had to navigate a locker room and lead a team sure. and you know, and Brady has never been an interesting person. He has he's been like he's just kind of a he's not even a good like brand man for, you know, tag higher watches or whatever. He's just like <laughs> Yeah. He's a he's a sculpted face. Yeah. And that's it. Um now he puts on the pads and you're like, I will watch this guy for any time he's running an offense. This oh, yeah. is fast. This is and he's run so many different kinds and he's he's the greatest quarterback of all time, I think. Yeah. Um and <clears throat> okay, great. But so I think retirement has something to do with it. I think I think charisma has something to do with it. And then I think there's a you know, Brady is is known to be the same level of competitor as Jordan. Yeah. But not the same level of killer. Yeah. Like. Very true. Jordan, during his career, after his career, is known for just savagery. Yeah. Well, that's really compelling. Like, you need a villain <laughs> if you're going to have a good story. Who's the villain in Tom Brady's story? Like That's true. Yeah. It, the story of Tom Brady is excellence, not, yeah. Com- not savagery. Yeah. And so, like, excellence is a great product that you don't really think about. Savagery yeah. is like compelling. You can't look away.
1: Yeah, because savagery, it tends to do some hollowing out of the character that's being the savage. Like yep. it's really not sustainable from a spiritual or emotional standpoint to be a savage for like three plus decades. And I think that bore itself out in the Jordan documentaries. In in as much as you watch them and you're drawn in by the savagery, but Jordan the person was ravaged. Like he yeah. looked ravaged. You know, he. sounded yeah, You don't want to be that ravaged. man. Like yes, I think that's right. I think
0: Brady, ten years into retirement, people are going to look at him and go, "That looks like a possibly like neurotic and weird, but like probably a healthy, good life." You know. Yeah. Right. He's going to be tan. He's going to be on the golf course. He's going to have a sense of humor. Yeah. All of which is great. None of which is compelling television. Yes, that's right. So the other thing that Savagery does is it creates rivalries. Who yes. is Tom Brady's like since Peyton Manning disappeared from
1: football, there is not a rival for Tom Brady. Well, dude, even that Nobody rivalry, wants to
0: destroy him.
1: I would even argue, and I enjoyed that rivalry, right? And I, I think the world of of Peyton Manning as a as a player too. And I enjoyed the rivalry, but even as rivalries go, it was boring. In that like Peyton Manning was this rich guy who was the scion of Archie Manning and he was football royalty. And by by the time it became a real rivalry, Brady was kind of enthroned as, you know, the hottest, richest dating actresses and supermodels. It was a boring rivalry. Whereas like Jordan versus Isaiah, like if you put those guys in a dark alley at two in the morning, like they're fighting each other. You know what I mean? And yeah. like they're both going to jail. There's blood. Like those guys were savages and those guys went at each other and Jordan and John Stark, Jordan and Clyde Drexler, Clyde Jordan Drexler. and Magic Johnson, Jordan yeah. Bird. Like
0: there was always somebody J- Jordan and Kobe when Kobe was up and yeah. coming Jordan and the jazz, when he just kept putting them down. Again, exactly. Now basketball is a little different because you do go head to head with whoever's on the other team. Like quarterbacks yeah. aren't really rivals cause they never share the field, but yeah. Nobody even speaks ill of Tom Brady. Yeah. Like, he's a boring person because nobody dislikes him.
1: And even now and even back then, like, oh, Brady and Manning are together at the Rich Guy Celebrity Golf Tournaments that they play in. And it's just like, eh, I can't really buy this as a rivalry. Like, they don't hate each other. You know? They're Yeah. You know, they're doing Rich Guy things together in the offseason, and it makes it hard to kind of buy as a rivalry. Whereas, like, Jordan... Would have never golfed with like Isaiah Thomas, you know. Um by by like the third hole, that would have been a brawl. Yeah, somebody's um, getting somebody's getting ear holed with a five iron for sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um yeah, that's yeah, so interesting. Who who today could do something like this that would be compelling? That's a great question. I'm I'm going through the Rolodex. I'm thinking this is gonna be a controversial one. And I don't even know if I would enjoy this as a watch, Aaron Rodgers, just because of all the weird diva, like maybe he's an a-hole, maybe his teammates hate him. Maybe they don't like there. There's been some good, like drama and conflict kind of shot through the Aaron Rodgers experience. So maybe that one works. Um, The thing about Aaron Rodgers is I don't even think
0: Packers fans like him. Yeah, you're right. Like Jordan had Jordan's different because he was iconic quite literally, yeah. but yeah. like his fans loved him and his enemies yeah. hated him. Nobody likes Aaron Rodgers. The only person who yeah. likes Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers and like his accountant. <laughs> yes, so that's true. That's so true.
1: It, um,
0: That's a, Ma- That's a little different. He would be compelling because it like he could do something about being like, you know, public enemy number one or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mahomes. No, not yet drew Brees, no too boring um well i think mahomes is probably going to be too boring in the
0: end too just yeah. in the sense of like he seems like the kind of guy a little bit peyton manning ish where like yeah amazing quarterback kind of boring like just because yeah. everybody likes him yeah um, um thinking about other sports like there's the nba is a bunch of like friendly bros right now.
1: Yeah, there's nobody interesting in the NBA. The Um, last compelling NBA star of that kind would have been, like, Kobe. It would have been Kobe. I think there's going to be a sensational Kobe doc made by somebody in, like, five or ten years.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I think... So, Roland Lazenby, who wrote my favorite biography, Michael Jordan, also wrote one of Kobe. And uh, it's... Yeah, he is a... I was not a Kobe fan, so I didn't enjoy yeah. the book as much as I did the Jordan one. Yeah, but as a compelling character, yeah, absolutely, yeah, uh, definitely. And I think, I'm trying to think who, I think baseball is the sport where maybe there's some of that because there's so much more swagger in baseball now than there was five or ten years ago. Yeah, uh, you know, with bat flips and and pitchers kind of. Yeah. So maybe maybe one of like. Like I don't know, Fernando Tatis Jr. If he goes on like a ten-year Hall of Fame level run,
1: yeah. he could he could be that that kind of guy. That would be fun too, because baseball kind of lives. It lives in a space where normally throughout the calendar year, it kind of slips beneath the mainstream. So, I think the other thing that hurts the Brady doc is that there's nothing about the Brady narrative that you haven't already heard or seen video of. And whereas with the Jordan thing, there was all this kind of like delightful behind the scenes footage that you'd never seen before and aspects of the story that like if even if you'd heard them, you hadn't heard them at a deep level. And it was it was old enough to feel nostalgic. The problem with the Brady doc and you made this point because he's still playing like it's not it's not old enough yet. Like it's not I don't feel nostalgic for like the 2004 Patriots like that was. Fifteen years ago. That wasn't it wasn't long enough. Yeah, you know. You,
0: you, um, know, you know who could do a compelling documentary at retirement who? is Bill is Bill Belichick. Ooh. You're because right, he dude. is he was hated. He still is hated by many, although he's tipping a little bit into like, oh, okay. Like he's just yeah. earning the respect of everybody because he's not riding Brady's coattails. Yeah. He was cantankerous. Greg Popovich, same thing. Like yeah. they're yeah. great coaches, all time greats. Uh yeah. Curmudgeonly, crusty, pretty private guys, but you hear stories. Like you hear stories about like Popovich has this amazing. He's, he's like a, a wine connoisseur. Yeah, yeah, and, and throws these amazing dinner parties. And Belichick is is apparently like a a really great family man. Yeah, and you're like, wait, that guy who's never yeah. smiles and is not nice. Yeah, so those guys could. Those guys, the coaches, might be the interesting
1: ones at this point. Isn't it weird how like we live in such a youth oriented culture but the only people who would want to watch documentaries about are like 65. Um I think that says something. That's interesting that like the most interesting people on the sports landscape right now are coaches. They're old people. Um I don't know. I th- I think there's a there's there's a commentary there about the constancy of sports media and youth culture where Well, and going back to that word you hate, branding. Yeah. Self-branding. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, when every athlete has a shoe, kind of none of them matter. You know what I mean? And that's just one example. Uh, Real quick, Pipe, and I got to hop off the air here in a few minutes. Uh, Let's talk some NBA. We're at that time of year where I'm starting to look at Grizzlies tickets. I'm starting to care a little bit. Uh, The the big COVID thing is happening in the NBA now, which is going to kind of throw the season into flux. Tell me about that aspect of things and where you're at with it. Yeah, so it's
0: it, it was going to be an interesting NBA season regardless because there wasn't, you know, sort of a clear number 1 overall team. The Lakers were down last year because of injuries and so they were, you know, if LeBron and AD were healthy, they were going to f- vie for a conference title. The West is just wide open. You know, Phoenix yeah. I think is the number 1 seed right now, but th- there's a number of good teams. The East was was more loaded than it has been in a long time. Um, so anyway, it's going to be a real interesting season. So many, so many awesome star players. And then in the last like two weeks, every team has a a number of guys on the, in whatever they call them, COVID protocols, which nobody understands. Um, Because now they have like levels of protocols. Cause it's like, are you vaccinated? Are you not vaccinated? Are you boosted? Were you a close contact? Were you, uh, was it a false positive? Was it a real positive? How many positive tests? And so forth, you know, so whatever, I don't know. I, I don't want to get into all that, but what it's done is essentially just flattened the league in yeah. terms of, well, in terms of revenue and yeah. also in terms of, uh, competitiveness, because yeah. if you have your top eight players healthy, you are likely in a better position than the opposing team, even if the other team is definitively better than you, sure, so it's been yeah. a really weird run and I mean I think this, this this we're gonna come out of this in like end of January or middle of January where they either change the protocols or everybody gets boosted or well, you know, everybody gotta, will have
1: had it you know I mean we, yeah they'll
0: something's something's gonna give yeah. you know that it will run its course. And things will kind of shake themselves out February, March. Um, but what's interesting right now? So I watched the Timberwolves last night. They had to do a bunch of like G League ten day contract signings <laughs> to fill yeah. roster spots, and uh, and and they didn't play well and they didn't win. But it's fun to watch guys come in and play with their tails on fire oh, because yeah, they're like, dude. I've got I've got four games max yeah. to show that I belong in this league, so that the. the I think there's probably gonna be three to eight guys who come out of this and end up being like they earned an NBA career because of COVID. That's-
1: Surprisingly good. Yes. And what a fascinating angle. Um that, that's the part of it that's delightful for me. And like I would watch a documentary on that because I love those stories, right? The the undiscovered guy who gets an opportunity because of the nineteen eighty seven NFL player strike and ends up being you know having a 10 year career or whatever um yeah i i enjoy that aspect of it um that being said i think i would pay an extra 12 bucks a month to get access to like an espn feed that didn't have the scroll on the bottom about who's in or who's out who's on and off the covid <laughs> list like it's so annoying yeah. like i'm trying i'm trying to watch the you know smoothie king frisco Bowl last night and it's like you know nothing but covid news on the scroll if i
0: yeah if i never heard the i would pay money to never hear the phrase entered protocols again oh i know dude and
1: it's so yeah uh
0: like it sounds yeah, like I, something out of out of a bad like sci-fi movie
1: dude right it sounds like a dystopian novel circa the 1950s or whatever um which is kind of what it feels like too or at least what it felt like like a year and a half ago when sports got really weird um yeah, I don't know. I th- I think in five years we're going to look back on it and probably be smug about all the things that we would have done differently in terms of how they rolled it out and how they branded oh. the whole thing. And I, how- okay,
0: I know I said I wasn't going to get into this, but I'm going to get yeah. into this. Yeah, one the the thing right now that annoys me most in sports. It's not people being out with COVID. Like that's a yeah, medical yeah. reality. It's yeah. a shame. I understand that I think I think the leagues are trying to figure out how to do this their best. So okay. Yeah. It is the smugness of the media covering it who I do, love I to say, it. well, why don't they do X and Y? But they never give like they never play it out and go, okay, if we did that, we would have like they're like, well why don't we postpone the season? Right. Okay, we tried that already. And it, and it nearly and shut everyone leagues hated down. It. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and fans are miserable. And what we need in the midst of this dumb season is an outlet, and sports are a great outlet. And it's probably not any higher risk than like going to Target. So, uh, right, and 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 we're all you go to Target
1: this time of year, and it's like there's 1.2 million cars in the parking lot. There's people on top of each other shopping, and it's like, eh, this is going okay, you know? Like, well, and or it's not, but like. We tried the shutdown
0: thing, and I, I think probably it was the right thing to do. But also, yeah. it's not ongoingly the right thing to. I think really what it is is that people are freaked out, and especially you know to 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 bring a, a more Christian perspective into this. Those who do not have sort of the baseline of I'm just kind of trusting the Lord through this weird time, yeah, right, are so panicky that yeah. they're just they're kind of. Uh, maniacally thrashing about for solutions, none of yeah. which are actually solutions to a problem that's that's much bigger than sports and it's much bigger than anything that we can solve. But yeah, just from a sports media perspective, the sort of smugness of like, well, how is the league handling this? Adam Silver should be doing X and Y in the NBA. It's like, <laughs> right? Adam Silver doesn't know what to do, yeah. and neither does Fauci when it comes to how to handle sports. Like they're all just that's giving right. their best baseline understanding of this stuff.
1: No, you're you're right. You're so right. And that actually reminds me of a sports media theory that I've been wanting to bounce off you of for a while, which is I think at the root of everything that you just said vis-a-vis sports media is the kind of the idea that that a a reporter, let's say a radio guy, like so you turn on the car, it defaults to sports talk radio. There's probably two guys like talking about COVID. They have to come out of it looking like a good guy. And I think that's fundamentally different than what sports radio looked like 20 years ago. It's kind of like early sports radio, you could look like a scumbag and you were even kind of supposed to. Whereas, like in 2021, it's like, you know, guys are firing off their hot takes about Aaron Rodgers or whatever. But. They, they always have to add the kind of the, the kind of footnote that like, well, you know, I really do care about player safety and, you know, what's the league doing about it? And it's like, you're a sports talk radio guy. Just be a scumbag. Like nobody's expecting you to look like a big sweetheart like a third of the time. You know, you're 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 on this level of sports media that nobody respects anyway. You know what I mean? It's not it's not <laughs> like nobody's looking at sports talk radio yeah. going like, Wow, you know, yeah, David Halberstam lives here, you know. I mean <laughs> It's the short order cook at like, you know, yeah Ma, Ma's
0: Diner in yeah. in West Michigan who's like, So I decided to do like a kale strawberry salad as a side for lunch today. And people are like, What I Yeah, I just want fries, man.
1: Right. Like, I want you, a burger. You, this is not you know. your job. <laughs> Go somewhere else. Dude, right. So it's like I'm gonna fire off my hot takes for forty five minutes and sound like an a-hole, but like for the last eight minutes I gotta make everybody convinced that I'm a big sweetheart vis-a-vis COVID. It's just weird. Uh I don't like it. And so, um, look, so yeah. speaking
0: I, I agree with you completely. Can we back yeah. up uh to to player safety in the NFL? Uh yeah, go. <laughs> I So I hate watching games where referees are featured.
1: Oh, and that's the been emphasis the story on the player
0: safety. Yeah, means that the referees are the stars of every game, to the detriment yep. of everybody playing and everybody watching. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, let's let's understand that at a basic human level, safety is good. Sure. Is it fair to say that like somebody who signs up to play tackle football at the NFL level is basically signing a waiver that says, "Yeah, I don't care about safety." Like I'm not yeah. here to be safe. Yeah. They, it every discussion of player safety in the NFL is
1: disingenuous to me. It's yeah. all nonsense. Oh, this is so good, and th- this this could be its whole own episode. And and as someone who's played football and signed up to play it my entire life, I can, yeah, I can I can say definitively that it's one of the least safe things that a person can do. But yet to our earlier point, this is one of those conversations that I could very easily twist in order to like look like a big sweetheart and make you look like an a hole, which I won't do because <laughs> I agree with you for one and and you know secondly i don't I'm not interested in making you look like an a hole, but like it is one of those conversations that just gets massaged right, and it's like it comes up on secular sports talk radio and it's like two guys trying to outdo each other in terms of who cares more about the players when in fact they both know in their heart of hearts, it's a very dangerous thing. Right? So I think where I fall on this, and this is where it gets weird because we're talking about spectrums of things or scales of things for the most part. I like the idea of making training camp less brutal. Let's, let's start there. Right? So I, I like the idea of, Fewer padded practices in training camp. Okay, this is good. You don't need to be beating each other's brains out for five hours a day under the hot August sun with with no breaks. Okay, so that's good. That's a good player safety thing. I think, by and large, you know, taking out the you know the helmet to helmet kill shots across the middle. As much as I love those, like as a viewer in the nineties, like I, I think taking that out is is a good thing or trying to. But it's gotten so ridiculous with the the subjective nature of, like... the targeting stuff. Yes, or what constitutes... Yeah, the ejections drive me crazy. So what constitutes roughing the passer pipe is a very subjective... Mm -hmm. Like, so you'll get a referee who calls it, and I saw this in a college game last night, where, like, the quarterback releases the ball, the pass rusher takes, like, a step and a half and, like... Contacts the quarterback with his hand. The quarterback flops down, and it's roughing the passer. And it's like nobody's getting hurt on that play. You could you could run that play a thousand times, and the quarterback's not getting hurt. And so it galls me. Like it really kills me that those roughing the passer penalties are getting called now. Yeah, I and you're like, right. I feel like the the penalties that are the dumbest
0: are the ones that you look at and you're like, it is like. V- by definition and in vocabulary it doesn't make sense targeting yeah yeah we're gonna pen how do you like you guessed you don't know if he was targeting or if he was trying to hit the guy in the chest and the other guy went low too because that's what you do in football and then it was helmet to helmet roughing the passer it can't be roughing the passer if it's not rough yeah so when my when my arm flies by and hits the back of his helmet as i'm you know rushing from the backside, okay what that that's neither rough nor is like, it's not the penalty like it's yeah. so that kind of stuff drives me nuts i and when i say all conversations of of player safety are hypocritical i'm talking about at this this grand level of like can we just acknowledge that this isn't just a a, a you know a contact sport this is a, a game of violence it's a
1: savage brutal sport of pain i mean right. that's just what and, it is and it's you and know? it's chaotic. So like boxing yes. is a violent sport,
0: but they figured out that like their rules are pretty defined. It's basically like you don't you don't hit below the belt. You yeah. don't hit after the, the the whistle or you know after the bell rings. And like there's just it's pretty defined. Well, that doesn't like the, it doesn't work as well in football, but it's it, yeah. that should be the model. Extreme violence within certain parameters.
1: Well, and this speaks to like. A bigger, more philosophical conversation, and and I think you can't have this conversation without doing it on the canvas of COVID at some level, and and it's this is a hackneyed way of of me saying it. How safe do we want to be? Because at the end of the day, let, let's just start with like the premise that the safest thing to do is sit in our homes by ourselves and watch TV. All right, like Until we you get into conversations of mental health. That's it. We tried that for a year. Everybody went crazy. Alcoholism, abuse, depression, anxiety, suicides—like everything shot through the roof. Okay, but we're safe, all right. Nobody's driving their cars. Nobody's—I'm get, not getting in a car wreck if I'm sitting on my couch. I'm not. Uh, I'm not getting a concussion from playing football if I'm sitting on my couch. But I'm also not getting to do things that I like to do, like driving my car and playing football. You know, or and those seeing are seeing just- friends. Yeah. And those are just a a few things that I like to do. So life is like, and we, we, we used to do this on a subconscious level. Okay. So like when you were a kid and you went out to go sledding in the winter in Minnesota or for me in Indiana or to play tackle football with my friends in the backyard, it's like, okay, somewhere in the ether was this feeling that I could hit a tree and break my arm and have to go to the ER. But, like, sledding is really fun, so I'm going to do it. Or backyard football is super fun. And even if I have to get stitches and go to the ER, it's costly and inconvenient for my parents, but it's still probably worth it, so I'm still doing it. And you do that stuff enough that that you end up having a lot of fun with it. And, yeah, like, somewhere in the back of your mind, there's this, like, risk-reward calculus that you're doing on a subconscious level. But, like... I think the last couple of years or maybe the last decade of player safety talk, it's taken the risk reward calculus out of the back of your mind and put it in the front of your mind. And it's, it's depressing to have it there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, yeah, and, and it speaks to some fundamental, again, this is broadly philosophical and we could go days on this, but like some, some, some conversations about autonomy and, how much do I want to make the calls in my own life about what I can and can't do? And at the end of the day, I'm an adult. And I know that when I go to play football, I could end up in the ER, right? But I love doing it and it's worth it to me. And, and I'm not a, doing it you know. It and,
0: it, and, and at a philosophical yeah. level, that's an easier call to make because it it affects a very small circle of people. So you as an adult making the
1: decision to do a risky thing with a bunch of other adults who have made the same decision. Right, right. There's a
0: this is there's an agreed upon sort of rule of, of, of conduct here. That's different right. than like I'm gonna drive a thousand miles per hour down the freeway with no seatbelt, because you're not just risking you then. You're risking the minivan full of kids and the school bus and whatever else. That's so right. it's yeah. it, it is and that's the thing. We're very comfortable with combat sports, we as a yeah. society. Boxing we love them ultimate fighting, uh, you know, wrestling, whatever. Like, yeah, there's a, there's just an understanding of that's what this is. Football's needs to be understood in that context. And we, because of its breadth of fandom, it gets put in the realm of like, it's, it's entertainment. It's not combat sports. So it's a question of like, it's more a question of like, what seven words can't you say on network television? rather than what are the rules of conduct in this combat sport?
1: Well, and the PR industry has gotten so much more involved with the football product in as much as when you buy a, when you buy an MMA pay-per-view, let's say you don't flip it on and go, gosh, I, I really hope these guys stay safe. You know, like, Hey, stay safe fellas. Like you watch it because you're watching two men fight in a cage It's going to be bloody. It's going to be violent. It's going to be at some level gross, but it's like that's what you're signing up for. And, you know, really at its essence, the NFL is the same thing, but it's kind of become... It's become passe to think of it that way. You know, we have to talk about it like it's, you know, kind of big, safe, mass-marketed entertainment for the family when it's really violent and chaotic to a much larger degree than MMA, because at least in MMA, there's sort of a there's a two to one student to faculty ratio in terms of there's one referee watching two guys, so right. it's pretty manageable. Whereas the NFL, your field's a hundred yards long, and there's twenty two guys flying around on it, and a, only a few referees who have still somehow managed to make themselves the show this year, um, which is really annoying. So, speaking of that. And we've gone way over time here, and I really do need to go. I want to ask you one referee thing and see if you've noticed it. So I have this buddy from college. We've been friends for like 25 years now, and we text all the time, and we text about NFL stuff. And there's this one referee who works these games, and we call him the existential ref because whenever he makes a call, he just seems so disgusted. And so, like, mad at himself and mad at the two teams, he seems miserable. Um, We noticed him when he was first working the Lions Steelers game that ended in a tie, and it was a miserable day, (laughs) and it was a miserable game between two miserable teams, both of whom were like trying super hard to lose the game. His name is Land Clark. Like, I, I did, I did internet research on this guy. And there's something about his facial expression that just conveys deep, like existential angst. My question to you is Have you seen this guy? I'm looking him up right now. Uh, let's see. Vincent
0: Land Clark. Yeah, which is a tremendous name, by the way. Oh, and he, yeah, he, I mean, he
1: looks like droopy. Like, yes. you know, the, the cartoon dog, like just his face. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you could see Land Clark on like Christmas morning and he would, he would have that existential face. Yes. You know? It yeah, and I, I think I have to imagine that there
0: are referees who feel the exact same like they didn't get into football refereeing because they wanted to like be hall monitors. Yeah. They got into it because they were like, Man, I loved football growing up. I'm not the athlete, yeah. but like I want to be part of the game. Yeah. Keep it you know, kind of keep the game alive and instead like you always got that sense from like Mike Carey, you know, when he yeah. refed or Ed Hockley, like Ed still lifted like he was an NFL player. <laughs> yeah, and for sure. Yeah, so that guy's face, like, maybe that guy's face is communicating that this sort of hangdog, like, I'm so tired of being given points of emphasis by the comp-
1: yes. competition committee or whatever. I'm tired um, of the rule book that's like the size of a Manhattan phone book. You know, I'm tired of finding fault. I think that's where I went with my friend because my friend's kind of a philosopher type, and we're just like, I wonder if this guy's tired of of finding problems with things you know which is your life if you're a referee um i don't know it's interesting piper this has been an hour and 11 minutes of of really enjoyable sports radio it was enjoyable for me at least i i had a blast i mean i don't know if any listeners are still hanging on at
0: this (laughs) point but you know this is the one episode they're gonna get uh before new year's probably so yeah it got you know. kind
1: of philosophical we did a little uniform talk which we always do we did some minchu talk so i feel like we hit our usual high points but uh yeah but but on a serious level like the the philosophical stuff was really interesting and i think it's those are thoughts that people have been chewing on for the last 2 years you know they they really are and and maybe longer if it if you're talking about nfl player safety stuff but uh Piper, I enjoyed it. We have done what we always do and that we've wandered to and fro throughout all these topics. And until next time. The Happy Rant is brought to you by Resonate Recordings.
0: If you go to ResonateRecordings.com, you can see the full range of services they offer. So if you're considering starting a podcast, they are the ones we recommend going with.